0: How important is the cross in the Bible? Christians would say, very, very, very important. The whole book is about the cross in the Bible. All 66 books point to Jesus. Can you prove it? Can you back up your claim that all 66 books point to Jesus? And with today's book, the answer is yes. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Every month I review Faith Life's free book of the month, and for the month of April the free ebook is Bloodline: Tracing God's Rescue Mission from Eden to Eternity by Skip Heitzig. Skip Heitzig is the minister to over 15,000 people as senior pastor of Calvary Church in Albuquerque. He reaches out to thousands across the nation and throughout the world through his multimedia ministry, including a nationwide half-hour radio program, Connect with Skip Heitzig. He is the author of several books, including Bloodline, the book we are reviewing today, You Can Understand the Book of Revelation, and The Bible from 30,000 Feet. So that was his biography from his website. The Bible from 30,000 Feet, that book, is a 600 uh, or so pages long. And it talks about how to read all the books in the Bible in 52 chapters. Wait a minute, there are 66 books in the Bible, not 52. And yes, what he has done is he has combined uh, some books like the prophets together. Uh, the three gospels are in one chapter and there are some epistles which are combined again in, uh, in some chapters. So you get 52 chapters uh, which leads to fifty-two weeks, which means you can read one book a week, uh, one chapter a week to finish it in one year. Now, why am I bringing up the Bible from thirty thousand feet? I thought we were reviewing Bloodline. Yes, we are, but uh, I'll explain why in a moment. Bloodline is a book where the title refers to the redemption of cross of Christ on the cross, the blood of Christ, and Heidzik writes. History hinges on a single pivotal event, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. There, God's great redemption of mankind was accomplished, a rescue mission that culminated at the end of Christ's three-and-a-half-year public ministry but began before the world was formed. This incredible tapestry is woven throughout the scriptures in red. The great Bible teacher of yesteryear, William Evans, noted, Cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The blood of Jesus stains every page, every book in both testaments. Evans observed that the atonement is the scarlet cord running through every page in the entire Bible. It is red with redemption truth, end quote. So that is where the title, Bloodline, comes from. And he also refers to the story where Jesus, after his resurrection, uh, walked with two disciples to the village named Emmaus. And as they were talking, and they went to a place, and they uh, had a dinner at the table, Jesus then said to them, and I quote, Luke chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-five to twenty-seven. And he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets." Have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. End quote. The last part is where we get the biblical support for Heidzic to do what he did in this book. The last sentence said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's all the Old Testament, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So every part of scripture points to Jesus. So that is what Isaac has done in this book to show you why Jesus uh, said so. Now, the structure of bloodline is as follows. Do you remember how many books are there in the Bible? 66. Now, there are 16 chapters in this uh, bloodline, and there uh, are 16 chapters plus the introduction, plus the epilogue. Now, those 16 chapters is in canonical order, Uh, It's not chronological, meaning that it's arranged by the groupings of the books as you read in the Bible. So if it's chronological, you would have the prophet Isaiah and his prophecies coming up in 2 Kings. If it's chronological, you would have uh, Paul's uh, missionary trip to Galatia and so on coming up in the book of Acts. But it's not chronological. It's canonical. So what you get is things like the first two chapters, the first two chapters of Bloodline is on the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible. Then later on, you have a chapter, one chapter that looks into, which is titled, uh, subtitled The Monarchy. And you have 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, 1st 2nd Chronicles, all six books in one chapter. Then you have a uh, one chapter, which is uh, subtitled uh, Wisdom Literature. So you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Lamentations, all of these books in one chapter. And you have all these uh, combinations of uh, grouping of uh, prophecy in various chapters. The four gospel and the Acts is one chapter. You have various chapters that group together the letters. So you have the the apostolic epistles, the prison epistles and so on, and the general epistles. So they are all separate chapters uh, grouped together. And you have the last chapter is on... Obviously, Revelation. So that is how he has arranged the book. So it's going according to how the Bible itself is structured. Now, I want to give some criticism first in this book review. Then I will go to the positive, all right? So the the biggest criticism I have of this book is that it's as a self-imposed creative challenge. Do you know of those are challenges where you have the professional photographer and then uh, you give him a toy camera and uh, he then has an assignment where he takes a photo and you see, wow, that, that picture is so much, so amazing even though he was constrained by using a toy camera. Well, you've, been to see, you've seen those type of challenges where the professional uses a, a dumbed-down tool. In this case, uh, he has handcuffed himself. Heidegger has handcuffed himself by various constraints. So he's trying to achieve many things in one book. So he's trying to, number one, tell the big story of the Bible. Number two, to talk about or to write about the atonement. Number three, he wants to make it easy to read. Uh, he doesn't assume that the reader is uh, knows much of the Bible. So he makes it easy to read, easy to understand. Number four, he wants to refer to all 66 books of the Bible so he doesn't skip any one of them. And number five, and I would say this is the killer, he wants to do all of the above in a short book, or uh, in 250 pages or so. Remember that his previous book, the Bible uh, from 30,000 feet, was 600 pages. So here we have bloodline, 200 page, 250 pages to deal with 66 books, and his earlier books, he did the same with 600 pages. So, he doesn't have a lot of pages. And because he doesn't have a lot of pages, there are some parts which comes in very rushed. Okay, So, I think that he would have done a better work, uh, this is my assessment, he would have done a better work if he had more pages to write with. Now, one of the best parts of this book, I find, was on Philemon. And the reason is Philemon itself is just a single uh, letter, it's just one chapter, and it's very self-contained, and he could actually write the summary of it very quickly. For example, he writes, Reading between the lines of this epistle, it's generally believed that Onesimus, a slave of the Christian leader Philemon, stole money from his master and ran away to Rome, thinking, I'll just blend in and get lost in this big city. Instead of getting lost, however, Jesus found him. Somehow Onesimus met Paul who was still in prison and Paul led him to Christ and found out his story. In this letter, Paul appealed for Philemon to receive Onesimus back to him, not just as his slave, but as his new brother in Christ. Now this is a mastery of a summary because over here you have the characters Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. You have the background of the city and so on. And you also have the intent. Paul appealed to Philemon to receive Onesimus back to him, not as a slave, but as a brother. So it's a very masterful paragraph and he does it for uh, almost every section because he needs to explain to the reader what's going on in this book. And... Uh, he, then after this, he would share some insights uh, from the book that the, some of us may not be familiar with. The general reader of the Bible may find it fascinating. And he ends in this way. So this is how he ends. In this a Philemon section, he writes, That's how it is with God. He loves to restore people. He looks for hearts that are broken for people who have made bad choices, who are beat up and scarred. He loves to turn people around. And when you choose to become part of his family, his bloodline, that's what he will do for you. If you bring your broken heart to him, the master mechanic, he will rebuild it. He's in the business of restoration and redemption. End quote. So you see here that he is, he ends by connecting it to the bloodline a metaphor, and he wants, he's inviting us to worship. And he says that, he writes that more than merely inform about God's astonishing rescue operation, I want you to be inspired to worship Him, end quote. So that is his intent. He begins with a background in the beginning, he gives some insights, and then he ends by a connection to the bloodline, and he wants us to worship God by the end of it. So, if the background is, so let's take this as a plane and as an airplane. So, if the background is the engine and the worshipping final paragraph is the takeoff, I could not take off because there was not enough runway. There wasn't enough space to build up, so he could not build up the sense of the insights and so on, so that it leads us to a sense of, God, you're so amazing, I'm in so much in awe of you, because just as he just get going, then it ends. So the plane does not crash, it's not a tragic uh, incident, this one, but it just sputters along, and he goes back, taxis back to the start, and he tries again to take off. And oftentimes, then not, it just doesn't work. He just doesn't have enough runway to take the plane off the ground. And I will show you why I think so. All right, in the book, in uh, Bloodlines, you have in uh, there's a chap- there's a section in one of the chapters, and it's it's uh, referring to Genesis 3, three verse fifteen. Now, in the book, it's one page. If you go online, you go and search for uh, Heidzig, you look for his sermon series on Bloodline, and you find that there is a sermon titled The Cure for the Curse, the exact same subtitle in this uh, book, right? The Cure for the Curse. In the book, it's a one-page section, very short, not much runway, and it's very short. In the sermon, it's one hour. It's a one-hour, five-point sermon of the same name. So you see, he can. Haizzi can actually expound at length about one verse, but he couldn't do it in this book because he had no pages. I'll give you a second example. In the book of Ruth, I found that I, I couldn't connect the dots. He makes a conclusion that I disagree with and I couldn't see how he made that conclusion. Let, let me tell you, let me read to you and see whether you can, you, can, um, you know, uh, what I'm talking about. Heitzik writes, more than anything, the book of Ruth shows us how God chose us and paid the highest price to be able to call us His beloved children. End quote. Now, when I read this, I was thinking, more than anything, wow, this is like more than anything, okay? Okay, I got to get this. He says that the book of Ruth shows us how God chose us and paid the highest price. But I didn't get that. How did God chose us and pay the highest price in the Book of Ruth? What is the highest price? What what has did I miss something? And later on, okay, in another section, uh, he writes, Heitzig writes, Boaz put a significant portion of his resources and his reputation on the line to become Ruth's bridegroom, and Jesus set aside his heavenly glory for a season to buy your salvation with his blood. End quote. So the great sacrifice, the highest price that God paid that's, that's demonstrated in Ruth is Boaz? But how is that so? Because I've, uh, the way I read uh, Ruth is that Ruth herself has, has given a bigger sacrifice than Boaz. What has Ruth done? She has left her home, she has left her family to live together with her mother-in-law in a foreign land. And this A positive compliment is not just my assessment. It's in the Bible. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, that I've heard that all you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to people that you did not know before. So Boaz has a positive view, not just Boaz, the people have a positive view of what Ruth has done to leave her family, to leave her home, to stay with Naomi. And if you say that Boaz has put a significant portion of his resources and his reputation, in what sense? Yes, I know Ruth is a Moabite. Yes, I know that Ruth, um, there is a a threat to uh, Boaz's inheritance. That's why the the other guy did not take Ruth in. I know that. But the Bible doesn't make a big deal about this. In fact, the Bible, the book of Ruth, seems to make a bigger deal, I would say, of what Ruth has done in choosing God. So... Now, hear me clearly. I'm not even saying that I'm right and Isaac is wrong. What I am saying is that I couldn't connect the dots. He doesn't give me enough words. He doesn't give me enough uh, evidence in this this, uh, uh, book to show me that more than anything, the book of Ruth shows us how God chose us and paid the highest price to call us His beloved children. And last example, okay? And this one, I think, will convince you. When he comes to the monarchy... Okay, the monarchy that start, started with Saul and ended with the last kings of uh, Israel and Judah. So it started with the United Kingdom and then there was the divided kingdom. The monarchy in Bloodline which is one chapter that covers 1 Samuel, 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles. And that is all covered in 14 pages. In his other book, the Bible from 30,000 feet, each of those books I just told you is a chapter by itself. So you have six chapters. And altogether, those six chapters form 53 pages. And those 53 pages, he gives the background, he links to the, to the gospel, and there's a sense that he calls to worship and so on. So you have three times as many, four times as many pages in the, the Bible from 30,000 feet. So it is very rushed. In fact, in the bloodlines, you have Saul is barely mentioned, David has two sections, I guess, in that chapter. And Solomon seems to take a more central position and there is little to nothing on the kings of Israel and Judah. But what can you expect with 14 pages? Because you spend a lot of uh, words and paragraphs explaining to the reader, the general reader, who doesn't know the background. So by the time you have finished all that, uh, you don't have much room to say anything else. So let me, after finishing the criticism, let me now turn over to uh, the positive aspects. If you judge the book by the constraints that it has imposed on itself, all right, it's a good book. (laughs) There is no book I know that attempts to tell the big story of the atonement in an easy to understand way from 66 books under 300 pages. If that is what you're looking for, I think there is only one book, and that is Bloodline. Uh, If you think there is another book, please let me know. Now, despite the flaws, and I think those are big flaws, I think that Christians should know the breadth of the Bible and how every book connects to the Atonement, how all 66 books can be traced to the cross of Christ. Because if you know this, it Immunizes immu- immunizes you from um, this understanding, this popular uh, notion that the Christian Bible is a storehouse of quotations, where you just look for verses to put up in Instagram or it's just a quotations uh, that you read in uh, bumper stickers. No, it's not. If you understand how every book is actually God brief, and you can actually overcome all manner of apostasies, false teachings, if you just understand the whole counsel of God. So this book helps in that. Number two, if you read this book, it actually answers the challenge that the Bible is an inconsistent mess. You have 66 books, dozens of authors. You have mishmash of genres, poetry, narrative, letters, apocalyptic literature. So it's a mishmash of things. But with this book, it helps Christians understand there is one message. That even though there are dozens of authors, there is really only one author. And the book is centered on Jesus Christ. Third, the atonement itself is very important. So even if you don't read much about the 66 books and so on, but if you understand the atonement, that Jesus died on the cross, as a sacrifice for our sins. If you understand this, you can interpret the Bible correctly. You can evaluate sermons and teachings well. It's a check on whether does your teacher, preacher, pastor or leader, do they actually hold to the atonement? And so it is one of the most important doctrines in the Christian faith. So you should understand what is the atonement. Another thing that I want to say about this book, uh, as a caution, uh, not as a criticism, I, I, in fact, think it's a good thing, is that he refers to the millennial. So, he in various parts of the book, he, he makes a pre-millennial, pre-millennial interpretation of the verse. So, for example, let me read, A curious feature of the millennial kingdom. Brackets, Christ 1000 year reign on a refurbished earth, close bracket, is the presence of another temple, complete with some animal sacrifices. So you see over here, end quote, so you see over here that there is the Christ 1000 year reign in the physical earth, and you have another temple, a real future temple in the real city of Jerusalem. I personally don't hold to premillennialism, I am a millennial. Now, if you think that means I'm not biblical and uh, close to blasphemy. Then uh, please consider it as part of my journey, as I consider the Bible and every passage I read. I try to think about the question: uh, How does this uh, correspond with the premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial uh, interpretation? Okay, of whatever verses I'm reading in the Bible. Now here's the thing: If you find it very, uh, if you have very strong feelings that I do not hold a premillennial um, position. Or you think otherwise, um, that strong feeling or hostility that comes out is probably the reason why nobody talks about it anymore or preaches about it much nowadays, because it invokes a lot of those uh, unpleasantness where people are quarreling and arguing about things that seem so far away and not important. Now, here's the danger. What we have today is that many people think that the eschatology or the teachings on the last days is not important, and that is so wrong. I think that it's important. I think that even though we don't know the details, but and we do know that, yes, Jesus will come back, and we win, okay? Christians win. The kingdom of God reigns. That's, that's true. But we should understand what are the different views so that we can make sense of the different parts of the Bible. So I think that it's very important. So I appreciate what Heitzig has done in this book even when I don't hold to that because as I read it, I can see that okay, this is how he interprets Ezekiel. This is how he interprets um, those uh, passages and it gives me an opportunity to reflect so, I just want to mention this because uh, some of the readers may be surprised by the strong uh, pre-millennial position that he takes in this book. But I think that uh, if you understand uh, how to um, uh, read it, I think you would be better off with it. Now, let's go to um, my conclusion. Okay? Is it a good book? I don't think it's a very good book because of the constraints. I don't know what happened. I mean, uh, why can't we just increase the page count, for example? Uh, is it a marketing issue? Is it a publishing issue? Is it a, a creative writing challenge sort of thing? I don't know why it, he he, cuffed, he handcuffed himself and he could not uh, have more space to write. I don't know. And uh, it's good because of the constraints. It's unique, but it's not something that you can read in one sitting. I think that... Uh, the, the plane can't take off, okay? The runway is too short. So I find that very jarring in many, many ways. Now, there are some other books. If you're not looking for a book that manages to, to do all those constraints, okay? There are other books that I can recommend. If you want an easy-to-read uh, book for the whole Bible, um, I would suggest children's uh, book, okay? If you're... Uh, trying to help a young believer or a child understand, one of the easiest ways is just give uh, a children's Bible book. The, I would recommend The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. So he looks into the centrality of Jesus and he goes through the whole Bible story as well from Genesis to Revelation, but makes it easy for children to understand. So I would recommend The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. As you move forward, maybe you want to read more about how the 66 books relate to the central theme. I've read several of those type of books um, and I've not read uh, the Bible from 30,000 feet, but that looks like a good book and I think that at 600 pages, uh, one chapter a week, I think that you should gain from reading that book. So I would recommend that book um, for you to have a look at. If you're looking to look at the atonement Okay, if you're looking at the Atonement, then I would suggest um, this book that I really enjoyed, uh, John Stott's Cross of Christ, The Cross of Christ. Uh, it is uh, I found it very engaging. He goes into the Atonement, and you can see the depth of uh, what the Cross of Christ actually means for the believer. And he is a very gifted teacher, uh, this uh, John Stott. So that is um, some of my book recommendations. If you enjoy Heidzig's uh, teachings, I think that he does a better job of explaining all this that we've talked about in his sermons, in his teaching series. I find that if uh, you're just looking for a devotional book that uh, you, can, you don't mind the runaway being too short, you just want a very quick and easy read every day, then yes, this book will be uh, good for you. But beyond that, I find that there are better books that I can recommend. So this is a Reading and Readers review of Bloodline by Skip Heitzig. Before you go, can I ask you to do something? If you are a Christian, that means we are both of the same bloodline. We can both trace a line from Jesus on the cross to where we are today. If you like the podcast, can you hit the subscribe button, write a review or drop me a line at readingandreaders.com? as an encouragement, not as a compulsion. Thank you so much. If you're not a Christian, I hope you will hear carefully to what Heitzig has to say. I get this from his chapter on Revelation. Let me read to you. All through this journey, we have seen very clearly that at the center of all scripture is a single person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mega team, the protagonist from Genesis to Revelation, In the Old Testament, Christ is promised by the prophets. In the Gospels, Christ is presented. In the Book of Acts, Christ is proclaimed. In the Epistles, Christ is pondered. And in the Book of Revelation, Christ's return is predicted. It's all about Jesus boiled down to its irreducible minimum. The Bible is about one person and two events. Jesus Christ and his first and second comings. Jesus dealt with sin the first time he came and the second time he will rule and reign with those who are cleansed from sin. End quote. Thank you for listening.